Amen. Y'all can be seated. Our preschoolers can be dismissed to their class, and I think we, we had some graduation here, so some of y'all are in the service for the first time. Welcome. So thankful to have our preschoolers who are now in kindergarten who are, who are staying in here with us, but preschoolers will head on out, maybe especially the one in the front row. There we go. There he goes. Awesome. Y'all, y'all have fun. I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians for the next three weeks. Be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians 2. We're going to cover um, all the way to verse 22, but uh, this morning we're just going to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this morning we are beginning a new ministry year. This week marks a new ministry year for Trace Crossing, new equipping classes uh, we have a couple new life groups that are forming, but the regular rhythm of life groups are going to resume. We're going to talk about all of these things and more in our member meeting immediately following our service and lunch today. But as we begin this new ministry year, we're going to start a new three-week sermon series in the book of Ephesians, mainly looking at chapter 2 and chapter 3, to help reorient ourselves to the fundamentals of our church's vision and mission. The fundamentals. Now, I, as most of you know, I grew up playing basketball. My, my dad and, and my granddad, they both, they both taught me how to play, as you can probably imagine, in very different ways. Um, you know, uh, the, the things that they would emphasize was, was very different, but they both were very invested in, in me and my growth as a player. I mean, so, some of my favorite memories growing up, my dad was uh, a basketball coach, and so uh, I played for some of the teams that he coached, and 
Uh, one of the things that I love, some of my best memories, uh, my mom probably just dreads these and has probably tried to get them out of her head, but I, I used to love, we would take a road trip, and we would go, we'd go play, there's a school called Science Hill, Science Hill, and we'd go play Science Hill, and it was like 30, 45 minutes away, and we'd play, you know, this was in middle school, so we'd play a sixth grade game, and then, you know, seventh grade game, eighth grade game, there'd be a few games that would be played, and then we'd all ride back together on the bus, and we'd get to the gym, and my dad's the coach, and so if you've ever, like, been in a chaperone role like this you know what happens next he has to stay at the gym until every single parent shows up to pick up the kids and well you know um, some of those parents just did not get there on time and it would be you know 30 minutes would pass an hour would pass an hour 20 and he'd call and I need to take them by I really don't want to do that no we're coming we're coming we'll be there you know and so in all that time I would just be shooting in the gym well, finally, the last kid would leave, and my dad would come back in with me, and he would just start rebounding for me. It was just a beautiful thing. Like, I, could, I actually could. This just shows you my emotional side. I could tear up thinking about my dad just coming in, not saying a word, just rebounding for me. I would shoot. He would rebound, throw it back out to me, and we'd stay there late into the night, and then we would, we would finally go home. And again, my mom probably hated it because I never wanted to wake up the next morning for school. Um, but, but we would do that. My granddad, fond memories. Uh, he has this beautiful court out, outside on his property that sits right in front of this beautiful old barn. And it's just a, it's a beautiful little half court, and he, he's got all the lines out there. And because we're, you know, Kentucky, he's got the paw prints, like, all over the, the court and everything. And our handprints are, are in, the, in the concrete there. And, you know, it's just a special place. But he would always come out there with me, and he would do the same thing. He was just a little bit more hardcore. So the way that we would shoot, he, we would always shoot free throws. Every time he came out there, I just would roll my eye. I'd be like, oh, man, I do not want to shoot free throws right now. And he'd come out there, and every single time, be like, all right, let's, let's shoot some free throws. And I would go, and the only way I could stop is if I hit 15, sometimes 20 free throws in a row, which is hard enough, by the way, if you've never shot a basketball. But the only way a basket counted is if the ball on its own I would make the shot, and the ball had to come back to me. It had to bounce back to me without anyone touching it. And if it didn't do that, it didn't count as a make. And he would just, so he would just stand there. So he didn't rebound. My dad would rebound for me. He didn't rebound for me. He'd just stand there and watch it, you know, and see if it happened. And if it went off, be like, no, that don't count, you know. Nope. If it sat right here in front of him, no, that don't count. He'd kick it back to me. And, you know, so anyway, my, my uh, granddad, my dad, they loved basketball. They, they instilled a love of basketball in me. But every single time we would work out together, I hated it when I was growing up because all we would do is work on three things, three types of drills, three, three things we would practice, shooting, dribbling, passing. We never played one-on-one. -on -one. I was never able to invite friends over and get a pickup game going. We, we worked out and we worked on the fundamentals. And they just knew something that I, I couldn't see at the time, and it's that you never get beyond the fundamentals of basketball. You never get beyond them, no matter what level you're at. That's, that's what guys struggle with. If you ever see an NBA player and he's going through a slump, one of those three things will most likely be the cause of that slump. The fundamentals are crucial. And the same is true for our church. You see, the vision of our church at Trace is propped up by two strong pillars, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. This means that we exist as a church to make disciples, great commission, who love God and who love others, great commandment. That's why we're here. That's why we gather on Sundays. 
That's why we give of our resources. That's why we have equipping classes. That's why we have life groups. That's why we invest in our students and children. That's why babies and toddlers are right now being held and cared for in the nursery right now, all in the, the, uh, with, with the motivation of making disciples who love God and other people. Now, if we're going to fulfill that vision of making disciples who love God and others, we need to know what the fundamentals are. What are the fundamentals in order to make that happen? How do we do it? How do we, how do we make disciples? And more than that, how do we make certain types of disciples, those who grow in their love for God and grow in their love for other people? Because technically, you can make a disciple who doesn't love God and who doesn't love other people. You could, you could cast a vision for them to follow where it's like just increase your knowledge about God and, you know, your heart doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you really love him. It doesn't matter if you love other people. And you could technically be discipled in that vision. We don't want that. We believe that the Bible says that we should be discipled into the image of Jesus who exemplified love for God and love for other people. So what are the fundamentals? What, what we can say, the language that we've been using that we can continue to use, is that there are three essential fundamentals in our church. And we can call them gospel doctrine, gospel culture, and gospel mission. Gospel doctrine, gospel culture, and gospel mission. We did a whole sermon series on gospel culture in the spring. And what we're saying here, in case the language is confusing to you, in order to make disciples who love God and who love others, we need to know the gospel, we need to show the gospel, and we need to, very Baptist of me, go with the gospel no show go that's that's the those are the fundamentals of of disciple making especially disciple making that leads people to love god and love other people so over the next three weeks we're going to unpack each one of these beginning this morning with gospel doctrine and when i use the phrase gospel doctrine i'm referring to the biblical reality the truth and the implications of the gospel we need to know it. Now, this, that, that statement may seem like so obvious a point that it makes it unworthy of an entire sermon. I don't think anybody in this room would disagree with me that we need to know the gospel in order to be what God has called us to be. I, I think we would all be in agreement there. And we may feel like we don't need to talk about it very much. It feels like a cheap Sunday school answer. Um, and, and we're tempted, as so many Christians are tempted, to believe that the gospel is just an elementary doctrine. It's an elementary truth that we teach to children, that we teach to new believers, that we use in evangelism, but eventually we just grow out of it. We get a little, we get a little bit more mature and we don't need the gospel anymore. You know, growing up in church, and, and I mean, I had a wonderful experience growing up in church, you know, for the most part. I loved my Sunday school teachers, uh, developed a love for God's word. But I do remember that the gospel itself was only explicitly, and I'm talking explicitly, the word gospel was probably thrown around a lot, but it, it was only explicitly talked about on special occasions. You know, the uh, Easter, Easter we would hear the gospel explicitly. You're a sinner, you know, Jesus came, he died for your sins, rose from the dead. Um, Christmas, around Christmas it was explicitly shared and VBS. Yeah, you know, VBS, there were a lot of conversions at VBS because this is one of the few times in the year where the gospel was explicitly shared. And it was explicitly shared at VBS. I came to faith at VBS at my home church, and they did a wonderful job of that. 
But those were, were really, you know, the, the main times that the gospel was shared. And there's this, there's this tendency in churches, you know. It's where you could, like, ask a church if they preach the gospel. And it's almost like asking someone if they drink alcohol. And maybe their answer to that is, well, no, not usually, but on special occasions. You know, sometimes, sometimes I do that. And in churches, we can slip into that where it's like, you know, we, we love the gospel. We believe in the gospel. You know, now we talk about it on special occasions. You know, whenever it comes up, talking to someone who doesn't believe. The reason that that happens isn't because churches or Christians, you and I, develop a disdain for the, for the grace of God or we don't believe the gospel anymore. What happens is we slip into this thought pattern that the gospel is mostly for unbelievers. It's mostly for unbelievers. Or the gospel is mostly for children. Or it's mostly for those who are new to the faith. And yes, they need these basics, these fundamentals. But for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we need to go on to bigger and better things. Well, I think this is a mistake. The gospel is for Christians too. It's not an elementary doctrine. It's a central doctrine. It's a crucial doctrine. And we never outgrow our need to hear the gospel. We never graduate beyond the gospel, leaving it behind for deeper, more practical truths. The gospel is our spiritual breath. It is the power to become who we're meant to be. And apart from knowing it and understanding its implications on our lives, we can never become the church that God has called us to be. You can't do it without the gospel. It is not a marginal aspect of our church. It, it is and should continue to be the central power hub of our church where everything flows from it. So if our vision is to be a church that makes disciples who love God and other people, we have to know the gospel. So what we're going to do this morning is look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and break down the gospel's doctrine in two ways. First, we're going to see what the gospel is Second, we're going to see what the gospel does, what the gospel is and what the gospel does. If you uh, grab a note sheet out there, I actually did notes. I, I told Blakely, I said, yeah, trying an, an old thing, you know, not a new thing, an old thing. We used to do notes all the time, and then I, I enjoyed not doing them. But this morning I was like, you know, new ministry year, fresh start, let's give it a shot. I make zero promises that I, there will be notes every single week. This morning you have them. Enjoy it while you have it. I don't know if it'll come back or not, but uh, hopefully they're, they're helpful to you. Two points we're making this morning. Um, we're going to see what the gospel is, and we're going to see what the gospel does. Okay. Now, the gospel, we don't, we, we've said that word. I think I've already said it, like if you're word counting me, maybe, maybe 50 times so far in the sermon. The gospel centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's where we have to start, okay? The gospel is about Jesus, primarily, who, who's a man who is also God, who walked the earth about 2,000 years ago. The gospel is all about his death and his resurrection, which are historical events that happened in specific places at specific times. You know, but obviously the sun and and the moon and the stars, they were, they were going and they were burning long before uh, Jesus walked the earth. So, so what led us here? That we, we can actually look at the whole story of the Bible and see where the gospel fits into it. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created this perfect world, a world in which his people would perfectly love him. 
A world in which they would perfectly love others, where they would live at peace with God and peace with other people, and where they would rule over and care for the created order. But then, as, as most of us know, in Genesis 3, we learn that, that mankind fell, and sin entered the world. And division and selfishness followed. Barriers were built between the people and God, and barriers were built between the people and other people. And people were banished from God's perfect place as we see the tragedy as they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And now God's perfect world is stained with sin and corruption. And one thing we tend to forget is that that could be the end of the story. God is obligated to do no more at that point. God was obligated to be just and righteous in passing judgment on the couple for their sin against him. He is not required to be merciful to them. He is not required to be gracious to them. He is not required to redeem what was fallen. He doesn't have to do that. But God, redemption followed the fall. He wasn't finished with this world. He wasn't, he wasn't finished with his people. He planned to rescue not only his people, but his entire created order. So he sets out on this restoration, this renewal project that climaxes with the arrival, the birth of Jesus. And it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that what was lost with the first sin is recovered and renewed. And then the end of the Bible, the end of the Bible, we see that that's not the end of the story, what Jesus did. One day we use the word consummation. One day in the future, Jesus is actually going to come back. He's going to return. And he will finally and forever set all things right. And, and on that day, we will once again live in the presence of our God and with one another in perfect love and perfect peace in a perfect world. That's the story of the Bible. That is the story of the world. And right at the center of all of it is this event, this thing that happened in time. And we call that the gospel. The story climaxes in the gospel. The restoration of the whole world, you included, can only happen because of the gospel. Here's a simple definition. I'm giving you the context of, of you know, how we get here and how Jesus is at the center of all of it. Here's a simple definition of what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins as our substitute and was raised from the dead as our king. Now we can expand on this an expanded definition that tells us a little bit more. We can say the gospel is the good news that God rescues his people and will restore his created order from sin through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. No matter how you slice it, there are a few crucial things about the gospel we have to get straight. First, the gospel is news. Second, the gospel is good news. And third... The gospel is good news to us. So we need to first see what the gospel is. Before it's anything else, it's news. Then we need to see it's not just any kind of news. It's actually good news. But so what if it's good news if it doesn't apply to us and we see that it does? So let's, let's look at each of these. The gospel is news. You see, the gospel is historical. It's, it's not fantastical. When Paul is writing these letters, 
he's, and he's writing the, the letter to the Ephesians, and he's talking about all of these theological and spiritual truths that, that, uh, that are true. They're true in light of something that happened. This phrase, in Christ, with Christ, it's over and over again in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. This is the, the essence of Paul's theology is, is that his people are now in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we have all of these wonderful blessings. We have all these wonderful blessings because we're in Christ. But Christ only can make that happen because of who he was and what he did in time. You see, the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection is historical nonfiction. Jesus actually was born in history to a young girl, a virgin named Mary. He actually did live a sinless life. He actually did die on a cross. He actually was raised from the dead, and he truly does reign today. So those in Scripture who speak of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even, even Paul, they do so as reporters for the most part. Paul relying on others. Especially Matthew, John, eyewitness, saw with my own eyes. Peter, saw with my own eyes. This is, this is who this guy is. This is what he did. It really happened. So it's historical. This is news. The gospel is also an announcement. It's not advice. And, and we, man, it's so easy for us to get this confused. This simple idea distinguishes Christianity from every other religion and every other worldview. Christianity is not a religion to help you become a better person. That happens, but that's not, that's not the point. That's not the essence of our faith. That when you accept the tenets, when you follow the program of Christianity, you become a better person and God shows you the way. That's at least not what the gospel is. The gospel is not advice for how you should live. The gospel is not a law demanding that we pay for all the wrong that we have done. The gospel is not empty encouragement that everything's going to be okay in the end. Like Captain Phillips, anybody seen Captain Phillips? Everything's going to be okay, he says, you know, as he's taking over the, the boat, he's hijacked the boat. Everything's going to be okay. That's not what the gospel is, this empty, empty encouragement. The gospel is not a recommendation for how we can fix the problem that we've created. The gospel is not even primarily a set of beliefs that we adhere to in order to earn God's love. The gospel is an announcement of something that God has done. You have a herald who comes into a town and he's passing along news of something that's happened. The king has won. The battle is over. We've conquered our enemies. And the herald comes and he, and he shares the news. He's not asked. The people, do, well, what do we do? What do you do now in light of this truth? But the, the herald is not saying, this is what you do in order to make the victory happen. No. The battle already happened. And it was won. And the herald brings the news. The gospel is just news of something that's happened. It's an announcement. The kingdom of God has come through what Jesus has done. And the gospel, before it's anything else, is an announcement of that news. The gospel is God's welcome to, to wayward and weary sinners like you and me. The gospel is a pronouncement, a declaration of victory that Jesus has done everything necessary to rescue and restore you. 
and the whole world. So it's an announcement. This is news. But the gospel is not just news. It's good news. Because that herald coming into town giving a report on the battle that just happened could be sharing the news that the good king was conquered and the tyrant is on his way. That's not good news. It's still news. It's news, but it's not good news. So it's not automatic good news that Jesus is now the king. New regimes take power all the time. They're not always good. But the gospel is not bad news. And it's not neutral news. It is good news because of who the new king is. Because of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus took a throne through a cross and through an empty tomb. And through this process, he has defeated sin and he has defeated death, rescuing us from both. The gospel is good news because it brings news of salvation and rescue from sin. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see what Paul's doing here? He's, he's setting these Ephesian Christians up for gratitude. He wants to remind them that they are no better than anyone else. That they, they were sinners, they are sinners, that they can't claim superiority over others. We were once dead in our sins, just like the rest of mankind. We are children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And he's showing us that we need rescued from our current natural state. And the gospel is that rescue. So after describing our hopeless natural state, that we're children of wrath, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 4, this beautiful phrase, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Gospel doctrine, at Trace Crossing, we do not believe that we must or that we even can atone for our sins through church attendance, through Bible knowledge, or through mission work. What we believe is that because of our sin, we have been utterly and truly and definitely cut off from heaven, cut off from God. And we believe that there isn't a single thing we can do to fix that problem. We're not enough. You could try as hard as you possibly can to be more good than bad. So that at the end of the day, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and you prove yourself worthy. How, how does that work with an infinitely holy God? It's a drop in the bucket. You'd be the holiest person on the planet. It's a drop in the bucket. We cannot be saved by our good deeds. We cannot hope that our good deeds will outweigh our bad. We can only be saved by God's grace. We're not enough. But we believe that Jesus is, because he died in our place. He bore the weight of our sin. He bore the weight of our shame. He is enough to reconcile us to God. He is enough for all of our past, our present, our future sins to be forgiven. He is enough to give us this, this grit to move on in freedom from our past sins and truly change. He is enough to give us a glorious future, one that we could never create for ourselves. 
But the gospel is good news also because it brings news of salvation and rescue, not just from sin, but from death. This is serious. Paul says in, in Ephesians 2, 6, that Christ has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what he says. Our spiritual resurrection now. Because he's talking about spiritual resurrection. We are raised with Christ in the heavenly places. That's not literal. Physical, you're, not, you're not physically with Christ in the heavenly places. This is our union with Jesus. We, we dwell with him. We are spiritually raised. We are given new life. And that new life we have, as he writes in Colossians, is actually Jesus' life. We, we, are, we are bonded to him. We are united to him in a way that our life is his life. And so we're raised with Christ spiritually. But make no mistake. He says here, why does he do all of that? Why does he raise us up right now spiritually with Christ? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual resurrection now, the new life we receive through faith in Jesus, foreshadows the physical resurrection that we will experience later. Jesus rose from the dead as a conquering king who is renewing all things. He reigns over all things on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Through his resurrection, Jesus defeated death so that everyone who believes in him is rescued, not just from sin and not just from death, but from the sting of death. Because Jesus is alive, death does not have the last word on our lives. Nor can it really touch us. Are you confident in that this morning? Do you understand that the gospel's doctrine gives you unimaginable courage to face your own death? Unimaginable courage to face your own death. To know that nothing in this world can truly touch you, not even death. It can't touch you. The moment you die, you will be in the presence of God. And your body, though it will decay, one day will be raised in glory. Death, though it feels like it has the last word, it actually doesn't. Jesus does. Why? Because something happened. The news of the gospel he died and he rose again. Our future is bright. No matter how many dark days that we have now. Because Jesus is the reigning king of the universe. So the gospel is not just news, it is good news. But finally, who cares if it doesn't apply to us, right? It's like, great, great story. You know, it applies to other people. Does it apply to us or not? The gospel is good news, but it's good news to us. Now, how do we benefit from all of this? Just because it happened doesn't mean we get to, to join in on this. How, how do we join in? What do we need to do? This is the most confusing thing for so many Christians. What do we need to do to get in? And when we ask that, a lot of times we mean, no, I actually mean I need to do something. Like, that's too good. That's, I, I remember, like, my whole framework of going to church for the longest time was I go to church to worship God because I'm in his debt. He's done all of this amazing stuff for me, so now I owe him. And I've got to go and put on a good show 
and keep our relationship fresh and good so that, so that I mean, look at all he did for me. I'm, I mean, it's dead. I owe him. How, how do we benefit from this gloriously good news? Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is how the work of Jesus' death and resurrection becomes good news to us. We receive a gift. We receive a gift. And that sounds simple and that sounds basic, but Paul actually tells us why. So that no one can boast. Our boast can only be in Jesus and what he's done to save us. We cannot boast and say, yeah, Jesus kind of kick-started this whole salvation thing by dying and, and ra being raised from the dead and all that. But look at all I've done, too. I go to church every week, and I read my Bible every day, and I, you know, I'm, I'm loving people and serving people, and you know, I'm, I'm a really good person. I mean, look at it. No. You can't be saved that way. It's by grace that you're saved, through faith. God offers a gift. How do you get in on the good news of the gospel? You receive it. You receive a gift. And that's how simple it is. You, you believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. In John, we see this. John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And then he later says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We receive all the fullness of Jesus from Jesus as a gift by faith. So, so here at Trace, gospel doctrine, we believe because that's true, anybody can get in on this. Anybody. Who can receive a gift? Anybody can receive a gift. Now, if you said, hey, the only way to get in on this, you got to meet certain standards, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, there may be some people that would not make the cut. Who doesn't make the cut to receive a gift? The gospel, we believe the kingdom of God is wide open. See, God's grace is received as a gift and not a reward. And because that's true, since the heart of Jesus is to pour out the fullness of his grace, we believe and we should believe that the gospel is for anyone. Anyone can get in on this. There's no one who is not a candidate for the gospel in our city. And so the gospel tells us that our efforts and our contributions to salvation are empty and useless. If you're trying to save yourself, please stop. Lay down your efforts at the foot of the cross and receive this gift of grace. In the gospel, we're told that Jesus is enough. Now, finally, what does the gospel actually do? If that's what it is, if it's good news, the good news that sinners are saved through the work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, what does it do? What does that mean for us? What power does that have in our church as we're trying to make disciples who love God and who love other people? Well, let's, let's look at a few things. I want to turn your attention to Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read a few verses here. So Paul says, on the basis of all that, God's grace to us in Christ. Therefore, remember 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul, you know, he could tell him what he really thinks of him, you know. He says, this is, who, this is who you once were. You were separated. You were alienated. You were strangers. You had no hope. You were without God. But then he says in verse 13, but now, why? Because of Christ. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. By knowing and believing the gospel, we can become disciples who love God and who love other people. And here's how it works. It's not that complicated. We become people who, we're going to first emphasize, who love God because the gospel changes the way that we relate to God. We once were enemies of God, but because of the gospel, we are now children of God. We once stood before God with a guilty sentence because of our sin. Now, because of the gospel, Jesus has taken our guilt, given us his righteousness, and we stand justified before God. We once were alienated from God, but through the gospel we now have peace with God. Because of the gospel, there is no condemnation awaiting those who believe in Jesus. Judgment from God has been faced. The justice of God has been satisfied. So we relate to God now as father, as shepherd, as king who loves us, who defends us, who cares for us. And because of this new relationship with God, his love for us can be reciprocated. And so maybe, maybe it's always been hard for you to love God. And I, no one would want to admit that. But maybe it's tough. It's difficult for you to love God. And maybe that stems from a bad experience you had in your family or a bad experience you had in the church. Or, or maybe you had a bad experience with other, other believers. Maybe it just stems from just a little bit of skepticism. You're not really sure what that dynamic looks like. How do I love an infinite being? And, and you struggle with it. But, but if you embrace the gospel, you see the great love with which God has loved us in Christ. You see the lengths that he went to adopt and welcome you into his family. And you see his heart for you. Gospel doctrine teaches us that we love God and cross our fingers hoping that he'll love us back, right? No. Gospel doctrine teaches us that we love God because he first loved us. All right, but what else does the gospel do? Well, it empowers us to become people who not only love God, but who love other people. And that's because we believe that the gospel changes the way that we relate to others. See, it has this effect on you where it almost gives your heart a new operating system. You have like a new code that's written on your heart, and now you, you relate to God differently, and now you actually start to view other people differently, and you relate to them in a different way. When you come to faith in Jesus, you don't just gain a father. Whether you like it or not, you gain a family. 
you know? You gain a place to belong. And we now relate to one another on the basis of the way that God relates to us. And so the gospel creates church unity. The gospel does. It's the basis for our church's community. We're welcomed into God's presence, so we welcome one another. We have unity with God, so we have unity with one another. And the gospel empowers us to love our neighbors. We, we now see our neighbors as image bearers, deserving of our love, deserving of our love. That we owe our neighbors our love because of the way that God has, has loved us. Our, our orientation toward other people is radically transformed. Gospel doctrine teaches us that every single person in our lives is valuable. And if you belong to Christ, you belong to us. And if you don't belong to Jesus, we owe you our love. The gospel has shattered any barriers that would otherwise keep us apart. This Jew and Gentile barrier that, that Paul outlines here, he's like, yeah, Gentile, you once were alienated. You were strangers to the covenants. You were separated from Christ. But now, you who were once far off have been brought near. You've been brought near. Are there certain types of people in our city that if they came and started visiting our church and they became Christians and they started to become assimilated into our fellowship, it would make you uncomfortable? You need to hear this today. The dividing wall of hostility has been killed. It has been shattered. The barriers have been broken. And as Paul said, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We can become people who love others because of the way the gospel reorients our hearts toward other people. But finally... One last thing the gospel does. It empowers us to become people who love God and others. And I want to emphasize become. It empowers us to become. And that's because the gospel changes the way that we relate to ourselves. True change is possible because the way we relate to ourselves is now different because of the gospel. We can become disciples of Jesus, growing more and more into his likeness, not because we're really good at it, but because God is really gracious to us. So we're not completely shattered by our failures or by our sins. The gospel changes the way we relate to ourselves and the way that we think about ourselves. In other words, we actually can become newer and better people, not by working really hard and deserving it and earning it, but because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we actually are given new life. See, when Jesus died and rose again, he paved the way for our own kind of death and resurrection. And my, fav my favorite phrase on this comes from Dane Ortland. I love how he talks about it. He says, Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. See, the good news that is for all of us. It is good news no matter how clean or dirty your past is. The gospel cleanses, the gospel changes those of us who are dreadfully bad and those of us who pretend that we're better than we are.
Both the sinner and the self-righteous need the gospel. Both those who appear to be bad and those who appear to be good need new life, need resurrection. And the beauty of all of this is that God does not meet us halfway. By his very nature, God creates order out of chaos. He brings life out of death. He resurrects our hearts from the ashes and creates something new. And so not only did God rescue us in Christ decisively from death in this once-for-all atonement of Jesus on the cross, he continues by the power of his Spirit to meet us daily with resurrecting, life-giving, life-changing grace. Do you view yourself this way? In relation to God. Through our reception of the gospel, we are invited into the story of God. The story of a holy God who rescues a sinful people and restores them. At Trace Cross, and we believe, we'll continue to believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And because of that, we can really, truly, actually, finally change. The gospel doctrine that we preach and that we teach week in and week out is the central doctrine for our church. And when the gospel is the central thing, it changes everything. It gives us power and purpose to our ethics, to our holiness, to our mercy and justice and kindness and goodness and everything else. It gives power and purpose to the way that we fulfill our responsibilities at work and at home. It changes the way that we treat one another. It changes how we choose to spend our time and resources. And it gives us new motivation for all of our ministries and all of our worship. So at the beginning of a new ministry year, let's remain committed to the gospel and its doctrine. Not for the sake of pride and being right and, oh, you know, old church didn't do it this way and I'm so glad that we do it. No, that's not the purpose. But for the sake of love for God and other people, for the sake of change in our own hearts, and for the sake of bringing others into the glory of his grace. The gospel is the only path on which we can become who we've been created to be in Christ. Let's stay on that path.